Hey y'all, welcome back to Well, That's a Problem, a social justice podcast on everyday issues. I'm your host, Abby Naraki, and today's ep, That's a Rant, is all about the unmet need of homeless folks around the world, but particularly in our own neighborhoods. Let's get into the rant. Okay, so I was checking out at Meyer. And this is one of the few times I didn't use the express lane. I went to talk to an actual person. Pause for shock. And the shopper in front of me saw the piece of paper hanging from the register and was like, oh, I see Meyer is hiring. And I'm not really sure why he did this. Like, he certainly was not commenting about this because he was interested in applying for the job. He didn't really seem like he was in a socioeconomic position where he needed a job. Um, particularly as a Meyer cashier. Anyway, then the cashier just starts talking about how she doesn't get people who like just stand outside Meyer on the curb asking for money with those signs when, you know, just 50 feet away, you know, they're hiring right there at Meyer. Just come inside. And she said this so casually, like, oh, I just don't understand, you know, all those people who just like stand outside and ask for money when Meyer is literally hiring right here. And so I heard this and of course I'm losing my mind and I really want to spend some time today developing an understanding and a conversation around these really common misconceptions that we have about homeless people. And so I want to be really clear here. She as an individual is not the problem. What she said is ignorant and problematic, but it's super reflective of a lot of the culture around homelessness and homeless folks in the United States but I'm hoping to really clear some things up here today because a lot of what she was saying, right, is based in this idea that if homeless people just got a job, that would alleviate all of the problems. And I think that that's really a really common misconception and a really common cultural belief that we have that we as individuals can just make choices and that by making choices, we can kind of exact our own destiny and our own futures, right? So we can decide to get a job and then we can get a job and by working hard enough, we will be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and yada, yada. And this cultural rhetoric goes back, you know, centuries in this country. But that kind of discussion erases a lot of the, a lot of the systemic problems that we have in our country and in our culture that erase people's experiences, delegitimize people's experiences, and don't motivate individuals in positions of privilege to be willing or able to offer assistance as much as they should. Because we believe that, you know, well, they just need to get a job, like they need to help themselves. And then once they're trying to help themselves and they're working really hard to do that, then, you know, maybe then I'll be able to help them or something. So, all right, what do we need to take away from this? What can we learn from that troubling conversation overheard by me at the Meyer checkout line. First of all, a lot of homeless people do in fact have jobs. A lot of them also have multiple jobs. We know how hard it is to make a living on minimum wage. Let's take even Disney, for example. Disney's net worth, okay, is $130 billion. And yet, Disneyland employees often find themselves living out of their cars or struggling to afford rent, getting paid $15 an hour in Anaheim, California, where the cost of living is so, so, so high. 
And Disney employees actually went on strike last year to demand higher wages in the city because their wages were not keeping up with inflation, which as we know, inflation is just like doing its thing, running rampant. And if minimum wage isn't keeping up with that, you're decreasingly able to make it on minimum wage. And while they were successful in their strike, the minimum wage is only going to increase slowly over the next few years, maxing out at $18 an hour by 2022. So yeah, it's hard out there working on minimum wage. And Disney is a particularly concerning case, right? Because we know Disney as the happiest place on earth. Disney is literally buying up everything from Star Wars to Marvel, has multiple theme parks in the United States, let alone around the world, has tons of movies, is making its own streaming site, etc., etc. And yet the employees at the theme parks are struggling to make ends meet. And I'm not okay with that. Screw you, Disney. Do better. And like I said before, having a job is not going to fix all the problems. And there are still tons of persistent barriers to being able to just walk in somewhere and get a job, right? So one of the things that you might be asked to fill out on a job application, right, is what is your address? If you are homeless, you do not necessarily have a permanent or stable living space with, you know, an address that you are free to give out and use. Okay, so that's a thing. And I went online to kind of do some digging around, right, about, you know, what if homeless folks don't have a current or stable address? Um, What do they do when they try to fill out a job application? What are some other things that might be options, right? So I found myself on usajobs.gov. So this is the, the federal government giving us advice. And they have a whole section on this, right? What can I do if I do not have a current address? I'm reading right from the website. If you do not have a mailing address at the time of a job application, you may want to consider using an address of a family member, friend, or religious or social organizations. Okay, okay, fine, sure, maybe. Another option is general delivery service that is offered by the U.S. Postal Service. So they go on and ask, how does general delivery work? Great question. Mail addressed to you at general delivery will be held at the area's main post office for up to 30 days. All you have to do is show up and show your photo ID to pick up your mail. Okay, so there are some problems with this. So we know transportation is often a barrier to being able to access services and things like that. So, you know, like for some folks, it's it's already hard enough to get to you know, their, maybe their job to and from or the grocery store or whatever. And then adding one more stop might be doable in certain cities and certain conditions and whatever. But I mean, here in Lafayette, the bus system isn't completely reliable. They are constantly changing the routes and the times of the buses leaving and things like that, that really affect people's ability to make a plan and enact that plan to accomplish their goals. So we can think about that as potentially not as helpful as maybe they intended, but at least it's something, right? We can, we can acknowledge, right, that that is certainly helpful. So the other thing I want to draw your attention to is that you need to be able to provide a photo ID in order to qualify for being able to pick up your mail, right? And that makes sense. You have to prove who you are. You have to prove that you're the person whose name is on the mail in order to pick up that mail. Okay, I hear that. But I also want to trouble this idea that just like everyone has a photo ID and that those are easily accessible. 
I'm on the dmv.org's website looking at Indiana particularly because that's where I live. And, you know, Indiana does offer a non-driver ID card for residents who either do not wish or are unable to attain a a driver's license. But to apply, you have to be able to provide proof of the following things. Identity with one document such as a U.S. birth certificate or U.S. passport. You also have to provide evidence of your social security number with your social security card, your W-2 form, or your SSA 1099 or non-SSA 1099 form. You also have to provide one document acknowledging your lawful status, like a birth certificate, U.S. passport or passport card, or naturalization document issued by the United States, and two documents indicating Indiana residency, like a current insurance policy, a certificate of title in the state of Indiana, a computer-generated utility bill, and it does say, you know, note, if you are under 18 years old and you cannot provide proof of residency, you must bring someone to sign a residency affidavit, show a valid Indiana driver's license or ID card, and provide two documents to prove his or her identity, it should say there, and two documents to prove Indiana residency. It does not indicate like what to do if you're over 18 and you don't have a way to indicate proof of residency. And then there's also payment for the application fee. And you have to do this at the Indiana BMV. You can't do it online and you can't do it over the phone. So you have to be able to get to the BMV during BMV business hours and provide all of these documents that you may or may not have easily accessible to you. So I'm just trying to say that, you know, while the U.S. government is trying to provide an option with how to handle getting a mailing address is not that easy and it's not that barrier free. And you can go online and you can look up what what are the requirements to get a non-photo ID in your state. Like I said, dmv.org has something on every state and its requirements and they're, to my knowledge, up to date because they should be. And if they're not, that's another barrier. So if you don't have accurate information and you go in there with the wrong documents or the wrong things, they're just going to send you back and you have to do that all over again. And those are just some of the problems that are barriers because we just take for granted, right, that everyone has easy access to these documents or everyone has an address or whatever because the system is set up to benefit those who quote unquote, play the game the way that it's intended, not acknowledging that that takes a lot of privilege and a lot of resources to be able to do that. So other barriers to getting a job, bringing it back to employment, you also need a stable, reliable way to get to work. And as I mentioned, if you don't have a car or maybe you're sharing a car with the family or friends you're staying with, you know, you're not in control of your own transportation. And as I mentioned, also public transportation in your area might not be the best. It might not exist at all and you might have to walk, you know, miles in order to get to and from work each day. The next one is you might get dinged for having a clean or hygienic appearance. So because of health and safety standards laid out by the county or state or federal government, people working specifically in food service but also in other areas are required to present themselves in a certain way to demonstrate that you know, the restaurant or the place that they're working at is like up to code for health and safety standards. And you're like, okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable though. Like, shouldn't they be doing that? Right. But cleanliness as being associated with health and whatever is a socially constructed idea that is often classed and raced 
and all of these other things, we have all these other social stigmas and messages around people who are not quote unquote clean and what that must mean. It rhymes, so you know it's true. And again, if you don't have a stable place to live or if the place that you have to live currently does not have facilities that allow you to take a shower or regularly wash your hands or go to the bathroom or whatever it is, you might not be able to maintain the privileged ideal of what it means to be clean and or hygienic. And that's not like anyone's fault other than the system that prevents you from being able to access those resources. And also speaking of bathrooms, think about have you ever been to a coffee shop where you need to buy something in order to get like the pin or the key to use the bathroom? Yeah, who is that for? That's to keep homeless people from using the bathroom without paying. Because we have this idea that if homeless people are are seen around that your facility or your establishment is going to become, you know, seen as as less hygienic or clean or less reputable or more dangerous or all these like negative stereotypes and stigmas that come with having homeless people in your space or that they're going to take up space for actually paying customers or they're just going to loiter or whatever, whatever. And loitering is a, a law idea also made up to police bodies who are unwanted in public spaces. And does like does buying a $4 latte and then like spending all day in a Starbucks make me more or less worthy of using a bathroom? Right? Because it's not like we in most places just have public restroom facilities that are maintained by local governments, right? Like you usually have to buy something. And again, if you're unable to buy something and you have to go to the bathroom, what do you do? Where do you go? Anyway, another barrier to getting a job, yes, there are still more, is that you might be asked to provide evidence of prior work history on your job application. If you do not have that or you are unable to provide that, you're unable to provide, you know, like a reference or detailed information about your past employment, that could be a barrier. Also, lack of childcare can be a barrier. So if you are the primary care provider for your children and you do not have stable childcare, you can't reliably show up to work because you might have emergencies or needs as the primary caretaker of your children that pull you away from being able to do that. And people who are homeless or have low SES born broadly are less likely to be given the benefit of the doubt to be able to be met with an understanding manager or supervisor or something like that. This brings me to a larger portion of this, that women are disproportionately affected by poverty, but they're often less visible than homeless men. So we've had this global trend called the feminization of poverty, which is the social and economic patterns that keep women disproportionately poor around the world. So women are more likely to be affected by poverty than men. And again, they're often less visible. And a lot of that has to do with the safety of public space for women versus for men, especially when children are concerned. But we know that most homeless families are headed by women. That's 84% when I say most. And a large portion of homeless women are fleeing domestic violence. So again, think about if you're fleeing domestic violence, are you going to feel safe 
sitting on a curb or like on a street corner or in a park, etc. No. So you're not going to be as public. Your needs are not going to be as visible because of that. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why when we, we think about homeless people, we often think about men. We have this one vision of what it looks like to be homeless, but that's completely limited because we don't engage with as a society more in-depth conversations about what it actually means and what it actually looks like to be a homeless person because statistically it means you're a woman fleeing domestic violence and or being the head of your family and there are a lot of other challenges that come with being a woman and being homeless we talked a little bit about bathrooms so let's bring it back to that if you're a woman and you are menstruating where do you get menstrual products to be able to have a sanitary and dignified menstruation experience from month to month. I know that in all the bathrooms I've been in, they do provide tampons and pads, but you have to pay for that. And yeah, maybe it's only a quarter, but like that's a quarter, you know, it's not free. It should be free. Uh, If you're pregnant, where do you get the care and support that you need? Are those services and resources accessible to you? Are you made aware of them? If you're struggling to find money to eat or places to stay, how can you keep your body healthy so that you can grow a healthy child if that is your desire? If you do not want to become a parent and become responsible for another human being, do you know that you have abortion services at your disposal as well? Do you have abortion services at your disposal as well? It's not a given in this country right now. Although abortion is still legal in all 50 states and I feel like I have to say that. So just like... Some things to think about that go along with, you know, being a cis woman in the homeless arena. Obviously, as we've talked about on the pod before, there are a lot of homeless youth who identify as LGBT and that comes with a specific set of complications as well. So we can think about how homelessness kind of touches a lot of other areas of social life that are already marginalized or disadvantaged. Yeah, so that's just, you know, some of my thoughts and a little bit of digging on the internet to really be able to step into why saying something so off the cuff is like, I don't understand why people just don't come in and get a job. They're going to go ask for money on the on the corner really is a limited view of what it really means to be homeless and the types of barriers that are in place, making it complicated for homeless folks to just go and get a job as if it's that simple for any of us. So I really want to highlight Uh, an organization called Thrive DC. They are an organization that work to prevent and end homelessness in Washington, DC by providing vulnerable people with a wide range of services to help stabilize their lives. So they don't just look at, you know, we're just going to provide housing or we're just going to provide hot meals, that they really are, you know, investing in programs that are hitting all these different areas, whether it's, you know, helping them find clothing for job interviews helping with finding access to medical services. One of the things that they do that I think is really cool is they they do a lot of drives and things like that to be able to provide menstrual products to folks who are menstruating and homeless and don't have access to, you know, tampons, pads, whatever, which I think is really cool because I think it's one of those things that you don't think to donate, but that is actually really needed by the homeless community. So, you know, the next time you see pads and tampons on sale at the store, pick up an extra box or two and donate them because that's a need that people have. Speaking of that, 
With the holiday season coming up, and this is a time when many people seek to volunteer, be more involved, donate money and other items to folks in need, I'm going to read off some things from this 2015 Mashable piece I found on 13 essential items you never thought to donate to those in need. And the point of me doing this, I'll just say, is to give a sense of, you know, you might feel like this situation is overwhelming, that homelessness is just you know, so far off or obscure, or you don't really know what to do or how to help, this is something you can do to get started. Is this going to solve homelessness? No. But is doing something better than nothing? Yes. When that something is based in research and actually like gathered experiences of people talking about what they need and what they would benefit from. Because if you're just like giving random shit, it's like nobody wants your XYZ, but we do want this, this, this. You could consider donating toilet paper, dental hygiene essentials like toothbrushes and toothpaste for normal and sensitive teeth, first aid items like band-aids, ointments, medicated wipes, ace bandages, pads and tampons are on here too. And, you know, think about maybe a diversity of period types or body needs. So light flow, heavy flow, etc. Diapers, underwear and socks, but not like your old underwear and socks, like new fresh out the package underwear and socks maybe some spices some blankets school supplies in the middle of the school year not just in fall gently used bicycles that could provide somebody with transportation who doesn't otherwise have access old cell phones that still work and sturdy bags and boxes to easily carry goods so that's just some of the things that this Mashable article is talking about. And I'll post the link when I post this episode so that y'all can check it out and look for more options. And like I said, you know, this is a very small thing, but it's a very small thing that is very doable. And if you're not already in the habit of engaging with these issues of, of homelessness and how to combat them, this is something that you can do, especially in a time when you're already going out to the store to buy presents for your friends and family and other loved ones. This is a great opportunity to you know, express your solidarity with the homeless community by providing them with things that they need. If you have other suggestions on, you know, ways to get more involved with issues affecting homeless folks, I would love to hear more about that. And I think other listeners would also really benefit from that. If you have organizations to plug or things like that, please, please share them with me. Let me know. I'll make sure the word gets out. All right. And that's a rant. We'll catch you next time.